welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following message is from our lead pastor, Jared Brooks. Everybody say, I am the exchange. I am the exchange. You are the exchange. You are the church that Jesus Christ has built, right? Amen? That's why Jesus says, listen, Peter, on this revelation, I'm building my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. So you're the church and he's the builder. You are the living stones that he is using to build this house. Amen? That means that it's our obligation as the living stones to go outside of these four walls and reach people. Amen? For the gospel. So that's our mission. And over the last four or five weeks, we've been talking about I am the exchange. Uh, We started a building campaign, and uh, maybe you're kind of new, you're just kind of coming in, but we're trying to raise $100,000 by the end of this year, and we have right at about $90,000 in pledges, uh, already pledged to come in by January. Isn't that incredible? Uh, and, and our goal is to purchase this building. Our goal is to purchase all. Right now, we're in about 9,000 square feet. This building is 21,000 square feet, the whole thing. And so we want to purchase it because we have vision that we can take and fill this place up with teenagers and with kids and with men and with women and, and, and husbands and wives that, that need Jesus. And we're going to minister to this community, Right? And we're going to reach this community for Christ. And so we have a big vision, but it takes our, our, our team, it takes the exchange to do that. And you're the body of Christ that's going to help us do that. So we've been talking about the exchange over the past uh, uh, few weeks. I am the exchange. But today I want to talk about what that really means and our agenda moving forward. So, so we keep saying I am the exchange. We keep saying that I'm the living stone that God's using, but what is, exactly does that mean? And how does it play to me uh, and my personality, my gifts, my strengths, whatever? I'm going to answer that question today, and I'm going to do it with a really cool story. In 1921, an unknown World War I American soldier was buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Later, the bodies of unknown soldiers from World War II and the Korean conflict and the Vietnam War were entombed at this location as well. The burial site of of these soldiers is known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Has anyone ever been to to Washington and visited this, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Man, it is powerful, so awesome. It has become a massive tour attraction, attraction in our nation's capital. People go there and they visit this site because of the value that has been placed on the tomb of the unknown soldier. And I want you to watch this video. Wow. I don't, I don't know if you understand the magnitude and the power of what we just watched. We watched this video and it's the changing of the guards. And I was thinking as we were watching it, those that are listening to the podcast are probably going, what's going on? What's going on here? Because there's no talking, no uh, sound. But this is the changing of the guards. And I've seen this uh, several times. In fact, the first time I saw it, I could have stayed and watched the changing of the guard all day long. Um, Used to, they would change the guard every hour on the hour, 365 days a year. 
Okay, now it's been changed to where during the summertime, it's every 30 minutes you can see this changing of the guard. And they do the same, the ceremony we just showed you, they do the same thing every hour. I watched, this was months and months ago, I watched videos and videos on uh, the changing of the guard. And I watched one guy, he takes us into this booth and he's explaining how, how he became, this is the third regiment of the army. It's the oldest uh, group in the, in the whole military. And, and he talked about what it took to become a soldier. That's the hardest position to, to be a part of. It takes weeks and weeks of interviews. They, the very first thing that they do is they have to memorize seven pages of the Arlington National Cemetery. They're given a test. It's 100 random questions out of 300 possible things that they have to memorize. And they have to get 95% or greater to pass. Once they become a soldier and the guard, they're given a temporary badge. They wear that temporary badge until they've served at least nine months. They serve one day on, one day off, second day on, third day on, fourth day off, and then the next day on, and then the next three days off. So they're constantly, when they're on, they're, if they're not out there marching, they're sitting in a room, and there's video cameras showing the, the soldier that's guarding the tomb, and the other soldiers are practicing. They practice 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day. It takes them six to seven hours to get dressed. Some of you men are like, I know. Right. I get it. I get it. She should be the change. She should be a soldier at the tomb. I'm just kidding. Ha <laughs> ha. See, I didn't get any booze or any man's or nothing on that. I'm out here solo. I'll just, that's okay. I'll just preach. Y'all just, if you like it, just say something. But so, so the changing of the guard is this powerful, powerful moment. They were, one of the soldiers was talking about he has his, his uh, uh, uniform hanging up when he comes in, and they press it. They, they spend several hours cleaning the shoes. In fact, he said they take the shoes, they take a little sander, and they sand off every part of the shoe, and they reapply the polish and buff it every time. They don't just come and repolish the shoes and shine them. They take it down to the basic and then reapply everything. Their badges that are hanging on their garments are within one hundredth of an uh, inch or whatever of, of where it's supposed to be. So the, these guys come in and they measure each other's uniform. If a uniform sits for more than an hour, they have to remeasure before you apply the uniform to the body in case it drooped. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? But that's what happens. Every hour on the hour, a soldier comes up, and they face each other. And as they're going off duty, I don't know if you saw in that video, the two face each other. And one of them says something to the other one, and the other one says something back. Okay, what they're doing is, is every time that, that ceremony happens and there's a changing of the guard, they say something. And the one soldier looks, and he says, orders remain unchanged. And the other soldier looks at him, and he says, orders remain acknowledged orders remain unchanged the other one says orders acknowledged the tomb of the unknown soldier was dedicated on armistice day november the 11th 1921 and has had a military guard continually since 1937 so think about it 
for the past 78, almost 79 years, this tomb has been guarded with a soldier 365 days a year. So since 1937, that's day and night, rain or shine, hot, cold, storm or calm. In fact, when, when Hurricane Isabella hit the eastern seaboard in September of 2003, the soldiers who were on duty of the guard of the tomb faithfully carried out their duties despite the fact that for the first time in 66 years, the military powers that be gave them permission for the tomb to go unguarded while the storm was at its peak. And the soldiers would not leave the tomb. I get goosebumps thinking about that. It was powerful. It's powerful. When you stand there, they make you stand up. If you're watching the the changing of the guards, they make you stand up. And you do not speak. If you speak, and there's a lot of videos of this you can watch on YouTube. If you speak, they will pause what they're doing. The commander will step out of line, and he will yell at you. It's highly embarrassing. I've never been yelled at. But it's embarrassing if you're the person. He will say no speed. This is a sacred, powerful, powerful, powerful moment as they're changing in the guard. And this happens every 30 minutes during the summer, every hour during the winter. From September the 1st to uh, March the 31st, I believe it is. It happens every hour. From, from after March 31st all the way to September 1st, every 30 minutes they changed the guards. The original orders were given in, on November 11th, 1921, and the orders were this. Guard with your life the memory and honor of these particular soldiers and generally all the soldiers in Arlington National Cemetery. These orders, they've never had to be restated. They're simply to be carried out as each soldier comes in and they're changing of the guard. One soldier says to the other, orders remain unchanged. Okay, there was an order given in 1921 to guard this with all of our heart and all these soldiers and honor them. And the orders have not changed. The orders remain unchanged. And the, off, and the soldier coming on duty simply says, orders acknowledged. I want to talk about three things this morning. First, I want to talk about orders. Okay, we're probably aware most of us are of the Great Commission, right? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're gonna, I'm going to remind you and maybe, maybe teach some of you something a little bit. If you didn't know what the Great Commission is, and maybe you've heard people talk about it. This is what the Great Commission is, okay? Matthew 28, starting verse 19, it says, Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. Go and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what? everything I have commanded of you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore what go Go. therefore what Go, Father, I pray right now, God, that that we receive this message, that we understand what you're speaking to us as the exchange, God, to us as the living stones, that our mission, our job is to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I just pray that we have fresh revelation this morning as we understand your word, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. Now, Rather than focusing everything on what the Great Commission is, uh, I want to focus on the how-to of the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. 
And I'm going to read this in the King James. So this, uh, this is the ye version, okay? It says, but ye, that means you, shall receive power. Everybody say power. Okay, that now we could stop right there, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. This is Jesus, and he's talking to the disciples, and he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, okay? When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, okay? Now, in the military, when an order has been given, it is not a plea or a suggestion, right? Has anybody been in the military? Anybody? Do we have any military people here? We have a few, two, three, four. Shane, when you were in the military, did they ever say, hey, Shane, man, welcome to boot camp. Welcome to boot camp. Hey, listen, <clears throat> tomorrow morning, there's going to be a bunch of us, okay? We're going to get up, and we're going to work out about four o'clock. Uh, about an hour, hour and a half, give or take, you know. Um, if you could try to be there by four, if you're a little late, no problem. Uh, but you won't be there to work out. We're going to do some good stuff. But, uh, you know, and when you get up, if you don't mind, uh, make your bed. Uh, now, it's going to take some practice. You're going to forget about it a lot of times. But by the end of boot camp, we want you to figure out how to make your bed, okay? So if you think about it tomorrow, and you know what? I know you just unpacked your stuff. So, and you had a long trip here, so if you don't want to work out tomorrow, no big deal. So, but the rest of us, some of us, we're going to get out, and we're going to do calisthenics, okay? We're going to do some calisthenics, and, and, but pr- while we're working out, why don't you practice making your bed, okay? Practice making your bed, and, it, and, and some of these guys, they want it real, I, I don't care, you know, I really don't care. It, you know, just, just make sure your pillow's on top, okay? Is that the way they did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Henry, is that the way they did it when you were? Because I know military is different all over. You know, you know. So some branches they really don't care. And uh, and you, if you're in military Texas, that's different than if you're at at Lot in Oklahoma. You know, Fort Seal. They're all different all over the place. So maybe one of y'all got one of those, you know, cool militaries where they just really didn't care, where they just gave you a lot of suggestions. Hey, we'd like everybody to make their beds. Okay, if you can make your bed, we appreciate it. And uh, but if you can't. Um, you're not going to eat dinner this afternoon. That's not the way it works. In the military, when they tell you something, it's not non-negotiable. You know, you don't have an option to go, but I've never been good at making my bed. My, my mom's always made my bed. Sir, we're going to work out at 4 o'clock in the morning. I prefer 5 in the afternoon, sir. Jesus ain't even awake at 4 o'clock in the morning, sir. That's not the way it works. Okay? In the military, you don't have a choice. And when an order is, is given, if you fail to carry out your duties, you're in big trouble, huh? I mean, I'm not, I'm not in the military. I've had a lot of family that have gone through the military. I would, I would be really interested to see what it's like for that guy when you're all lined up and stuff and he comes rolling in like late. And his, his boots are undone. He's wearing shorts. Everybody else is in their pants. He's like, my bad, my bad. We can play ball, huh? Anybody? Anybody? We can play ball? That just doesn't happen in the military. The greatest institution on the face of this planet is the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. 
Come on, the greatest institution on the face of this planet is the body of Christ. And the commander and chief of the body of Christ gave us an order. And it wasn't a suggestion. He didn't put it up for a vote. He didn't say, hey, what do you guys think about this? I'm thinking about going with something called the Great Commission. I'm thinking about telling everybody to go, but I don't know if everybody's going to really want to go. So he never put it up for a debate. The orders have been given, and they must be carried out by every person who has enlisted in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? If, if we're the body of Christ, and you have enlisted in the body of Christ, you say, you know what? I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. If you say that, then you have been given an order and a directive by the chief of, of, of our army. And he is said to go into all the world and make disciples. Amen? That means you are the exchange. Everybody say, I am. I am the exchange, and I am a living stone. So that's, that means it's our responsibility, it's your responsibility to take these orders and go. Of course, we're all interested. Most of us all say, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I honor God. I want to, I want to please God. I want to fulfill my duty as a Christian. We would all say that, right? I mean, that's kind of safe. But the how-to sometimes becomes a little skewered. We're not real sure what that means, you know. Some of us, we haven't grown up in church. We haven't been in church our whole life. We don't, we, you walked in church this morning, and some of you are like, man, this is weird. I have not been in here in a long time. And then the band starts playing. Some of us up here lifting our hands, and you're like, okay. That's awkward. Is there a leak, you know? What are they doing? Are they catching the water or something? And, and so maybe you're, you're kind of new and, you, and you're not really understanding what's going on. But I'm, I'm, t- I'm explaining something that Jesus Christ came and he gave his life and, and to save this planet. The Bible says that his will is that none should perish, but everybody have life. Somebody say everybody. everybody. That, that's your neighbor too. That's your buddy at work. That's the guy you sit by at work or you sit across from. That's the cop that stopped you. I'm sorry. Did I say that? Everybody, everybody have life. And so, so Jesus, he, he outlines three things in the scripture that I want to focus on that I think that we need to understand. He's, he focuses on the power to go. Okay? So the power to go, that's the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, I'm going to give you what? Power. power. I'm going to give you power to go. Okay? The second thing is what to do. He says, then you will become my what? Witnesses. And, and then, and, and when, see, when we start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, some people get all weirded out because they think, oh, he's talking about speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the speaking in tongues. I'm talking about the, the power, just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a lot more than speaking in tongues. You know that, right? You get that? That, that? that Paul says, look, I speak in tongues more than everybody. He said, but I'm telling you, that's not the greatest thing in the world. I would rather you prophesy over people. When you prophesy over the church, that edifies people. So it's not about speaking in tongues. The power of the Holy Spirit, he's given us the what to do. What to do is to become a witness. And then he gives us the number three, which is where to go. He says, Jerusalem, which is our home, Okay. And he says, all of Judea, which is our workplace, Samaria, that's our neighborhoods. And then he says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The uttermost parts of the earth. That is missions. That's the mission field. Okay? So this is not an either or proposition. This is an and also commandment. 
that God's given us. Amen? She got real quiet there. I'm, t- I'm telling you, she, some of y'all, you're getting quiet because you think I'm going to ask you to do something. Now, you're like, if I listen, then I am now obligated to take this responsibility and live it out. So if I kind of ignore him, then I'm not obligated. <laughs> Knowledge is power. So it's easier to give to missions than it is to actually go, you know? I don't really want to go, so I, want to, I just want to give to missions. And, and so we, we get kind of caught in this, uh, this fight between our, our flesh and our spirit. But I want to ask you a couple, two thought-provoking questions. And, and I don't want you to answer out loud, so don't nobody stand up and, and scream out the answer. Uh, because it's going to be different for all of us. But I want, I want you to ask yourself this question. How many people did you personally lead to the Lord in 2015? Some of you need to think about it for a minute. You need to add it up, pull out your calculator or whatever. Um, but just think about that. How many people did you personally lead to the Lord that you talked to about God and, and you were able to, to introduce them to Jesus Christ as their Savior? Think about that. And then number two, has missions become the hired gun of the church today? See, I believe in missions, but, but giving to missions is never going to res, re, relieve us of the personal responsibility of soul winning. Okay, we believe in missions here at the church. We give to missions here at the church. We're going on a missions trip. But just because the church is involved in missions doesn't mean it relieves us as individuals of our obligation, which is to reach the lost. See, we still have an obligation to reach people. And I believe that that's, what, that's the purpose that God has put inside of us on this earth. And we have to focus on personal evangelism. National studies show this. Now, the church in the world is growing, okay? Africa is, is seeing just record numbers of people being converted and becoming Christians. It's crazy, the power of God moving. Let me tell you something. A national study shows that over the past few decades, church attendance in America is in a rapid decline and the churches that are growing are doing so through transfer growth. You know what that means? That means that most of the people that are going to churches and the reason churches are growing is because so-and-so got mad at their pastor because they called him out. And so they left that church and they just went to another church. And so it's people bouncing from church to church to church and it's called transfer growth. That's why... Most of the churches in America are growing. When I read that statistic, it makes me sick. Okay? That's not my mission. I, I'm not interested in other shepherd's sheep. What I'm interested in is the guy who nobody wants, who, who nobody's talked to, who nobody's cared about, who kind of smells funny and makes everybody uncomfortable when they walk in the door. He needs Jesus. He needs Jesus, okay? Our job as the church is to be a hospital for the hurting and for the lost, that we find those people who, who need to know God. Our job is to not say, what church do you go to? Oh, you go to, you, you should check out our church. It's better. It's better. We have an X right in the center of the stage. And if you look at it like this, it's like a cross raising from the dead. It is awesome. They turn the lights down low so they can't even see if you're sleeping. It's so cool. Right? 
That's not the mission of the exchange. The mission of the exchange is not to say, okay, everybody, today your job is to go find some, uh, somebody from another church and bring them into the fold. No, no, that's not our job. Our job is to find the lost, to say, you know what? Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Did you know that there are enough people in Houston that are lost right now that we could fill every church in Houston probably 10 times every Sunday morning? Think about that. Think about all the churches that we have all over the city. We could fill it 10 times every, probably every day for a week and, and still have people trying to get into the doors. There are plenty of lost people, Amen. The church has to return to this frame of mind that views the Great Commission as more than just a nice idea. The stance of the church must be that the Great Commission is a personal, individual command to every child of God to go into his or her own world and make an honest attempt to convert every person who will listen. That should be our stance. What's your world, your workplace, your neighborhood, your friend, your circle? Our job as the church is to find that circle, whatever it is, and to make an honest attempt to make sure that they know who you are in Christ and make sure that they know that what he's did, done inside of you, he can do for them. If he's restored your broken marriage, your marriage was not meant to be dysfunctional. Your marriage was not meant to be uncomfortable. Okay, your marriage was meant to be awesome. Your house was meant to be a safe place for your, your kids. Okay, that's what God intended it for. And what God has done for me, he can do for you. Okay, and when people grab a hold of that, they go, I don't know, man. I'm not like you. I'm not like you. You are exactly like me. You breathe. It's a funny thing about us humans. We have breath. And every person that on the face of this planet that has breath, God has a mission and a plan for them. And he loves them. The New Testament does, uh, it doesn't place the responsibility of soul winning onto some uh, world, on a corporate or ethereal group of people. But the responsibility for evangelism is upon each individual Christian. That's you. That's me, right? I, I remember, I mean, this is the way it's kind of always been, but uh, people will joke about pastors. And they'll say, well, you know, I don't know what you do all day. All you do is preach on Sunday. I mean, it's your job to reach all the people. It's your job to get everybody saved, right, Pastor? If we're not growing, that's your fault, <laughs> right? Some of you are shaking your head because you're like, I know I agree with that. <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. The Bible says in Ephesians that he gave these five gifts to the church. And the Bible says he gave pastors and teachers, evangelists, and he gave all these five gifts to the church. And it says, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the funny thing is, is it's the church's responsibility to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is outlined in Matthew chapter 28 where it says, Go, go into all the world and make disciples. So think about this. And my point number two, point number one was orders. Uh, orders remained unchanged. So point number two is orders remain. In military, once an order is given, it remains in effect until another order is given that alters, rescinds, or supersedes the original order, okay? So one order could last a minute, 
It could last a week or it could last decades. Or in this case, the order of the, the, the guarding of the tomb of the unknown soldier, this order has lasted 78 years, 3 months, and 11 days today. That's a long time that one order has lasted. Remember, this tomb has had uh, uh, constant military guards since November 11, 1937. So think of this. Not one moment has passed that the tomb has not been guarded for the past 944 months, 4,082 weeks, 28,730 days, 689,520 hours, 41,371,200 minutes, 2,482,272,000 seconds. Somebody's been guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier. You didn't think I could do that. I read those numbers like a pro. I did practice a lot. Only two billions, 48,000, a billion comes after me. Okay. Our commander-in-chief gave the original orders to 11 disciples who, in turn, were supposed to pass those on to the succeeding generations. Okay? That was the plan. That was Jesus' plan all along. As he gave these guys a command, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and then I want you to reproduce, and then I want you to raise up. Now I want you to reproduce, and I want you to raise up, and I want you to reproduce. And he's trying to give this. And if the church would have followed this command, the whole world would be completely different right now. Today's church is long on programs, entertainment, and fellowship, and talk, but all too often short on results. Okay, it's about what we can do for you, fatten up the people. Rather than making disciples, the church is just making a lot of obese Christians. Okay, I preached a message about this not too long ago and talking about the, the obese and anorexic and bulimic. The anorexic Christians come into church and they just starve themselves spiritually. They won't let nothing in. Okay, and then the bulimic Christians, they come in and they're like, oh, this is good. I love this. I need Jesus. And then Monday morning, they just get rid of it all. They get rid of it all and they just live as if they never received anything from God. And then you got the obese Christians who are all about church. But it's about us four and no more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. It's all intake and no output. Okay? It's all of Jesus I can take, but I don't do anything for anybody else. It's just my Jesus. My Jesus, my way, it's my Burger King Jesus. <laughs> a disciple has not been made until we've created a disciple-making disciple. When I was over our Bible school, I said this all the time. Okay? You cannot call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, and until you become a disciple-making disciple. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Let me give you an example. Uh, Pastor Ruben, come up here. Okay? So years and years ago, I went to this church, and I became a youth pastor, and I met this guy in my youth group. He was, what, 15? 15 when I became his youth pastor. How old are you now? 32. 32. So however many years ago that was. That was a long time ago. I don't want to think about the math, so let's not say it out loud. But a long time ago. And I decided, stop. Easy now. I almost lost the spirit for a second. So I start pouring into this guy and start building up a disciple. He comes into our program, becomes a staff member, and he starts discipling people. And so one of the guys he started discipling is Cody. Cody, come up here. Okay? 
And I tell Reuben, Reuben, I need you to take Cody under your wing. You're going to disciple Cody. He starts taking Cody, and he starts discipling Cody. And he starts pouring into Cody, okay? Now, Cody's responsibility now is one of these people. So Eric, come here. Eric's like, I got you. I got you. So now it is Cody's responsibility to reproduce what I helped impart into Pastor Reuben, who helped impart into Cody, who's now imparting into Eric. And now Eric has a responsibility as a child of God. He has been given a command, commandment by the chief Jesus Christ over the body of Christ. Eric, you've been given a commandment, and Jesus says now it's your responsibility to do what, what he did for him and what he did for him and what somebody did for me and somebody did for him. You have a responsibility to carry that on. That's what it's talking about. So when I say you're not a disciple until you're a disciple-making disciple, everybody likes to believe that they're a disciple. But if we're not reproducing something and then taking that something and help raising it up, a lot of churches, we love to do big events. It's, some, it's something I've had a problem with my whole life. I love Easter, and I love doing giant Easter events. But you know what I have an issue with? Bragging. We had 7,000 people come to Easter, and 4,000 got saved. Hallelujah. And the next Sunday, none of them were there. And we've not discipled one of them. We've not raised up one of them. We've not helped one of them change their life. We've not helped one of them figure out how to keep from falling on their face every day but we want to brag about look what we did we got all the numbers okay leave them alone let them go that's not the church's responsibility church's responsibility is say i got one saved okay now okay you mess up no problem no problem here's how we fix this mistake so pastor reuben has now been married for how many years 10 and he still calls me he still will call me in the middle of the night and say hey man I kind of said something I probably shouldn't have said to Elena, and it kind of backfired on me, and what I need to do? I have driven to his house in the middle of the night because I didn't get him saved and go, yes, that's another one, another one. I need another one. I need another salvation. Salvation, yes, you want to get saved? You want to get saved? Another one. I need another one. But you say, you know what? I'm going to raise you up. I want to be a father to you. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to be there for you. I got your back. And now he has the responsibility when Cody needs something to do the same thing. So on and so on and so on and so on. That's our job. Amen? You believe that? Thanks, guys. Never before. Eric, you did a great job. I ain't never seen anybody stand the way you stood. <sighs> Powerful. I should give an altar call right now. I'm just kidding. You did awesome, buddy. Never before in the history of the world has one generation ever been given the opportunity to touch this high-tech generation like we have today, okay? We have such an opportunity with all the social media that, that, that we have access to to let our light shine like never before. We have the greatest opportunity to make disciples, and the greatest commandment that has ever been given to us is orders remain unchanged. I'm passing that along to you this morning, that orders remain unchanged. And that's number three. In military, when an order has been given, to uh, when given, no person of inferior ranking or power has the ability to alter or change the original order. Okay? 
So no one can come in and say, yeah, we're, we're just going to change it. Once an order has been given for it to be altered, rescinded, or superseded, an officer of higher ranking must come and give the revised order. So what I'm saying is that the captain of the Lord of hosts, God has given our orders, and it is not possible. You hear me? It is not possible possible for a person of higher ranking to come in speak into your life and change the original order that was given amen you believe that it's not possible mark chapter 16 verse 15 and he said unto them go ye into all the world preach the gospel to who every creature Matthew 28, 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. No one has the rank or authority to change the orders. They are to remain unchanged. Okay? Jesus Christ gave us an order, and it is to remain unchanged. No higher authority can come in. So this order is 2,016 years old, maybe 104,382 months old, 5,551,264 weeks old. Check this out. 38,158,848 days old, 2,289,530 thousand eight hundred and eighty hours one hundred thirty seven billion three hundred seventy one million eight hundred fifty two thousand eight hundred minutes old or and this one's a good one right here eight trillion two hundred forty two billion three hundred and eleven million one hundred sixty eight thousand seconds old that Jesus Christ gave us an order and since then the orders are to what remain unchanged. Isn't that powerful? That we don't have to figure out what does Jesus really want from me? What what does he want next? This this is one of my pet peeves. Master's commission. These students would come up to me every, in in youth ministry, they come up to me all the time and it would drive me crazy. Every time it would get close to the end of the year, they would go, I just don't know what to do next. I just don't know, God's not talking to me. I've been praying. I just don't know what to do next. I don't know if I should go to school now. I don't know if I should go into ministry. I don't know if I should come back. I just don't know what to do. And I would say the same thing every time. Do the last thing he told you to do and do that until he tells you to do something different. Pretty simple, isn't it? Makes me sound like a genius. As the church, we are to do the last thing that he told us to do. And we're to do that until he tells us to do something different. He told the disciples, he says, I'm telling you, go. Go into all the world and make disciples. I want you to go and I want you to preach the gospel to every nation. He tells the disciples, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make Christians. Go and make believers. He said, go make disciples because he understood that disciples just, see, they're excited. Wow. <laughs> Let's all go in there and see what they're, no, I'll just talk about. He did, he, his, his mission, when he told the disciples, he said, I want you to go and I want you to reproduce who you are. 
He's telling them, he's like, listen, for the last three and a half years, for the last three years, you've hung out with me. You've walked around with me. You've seen me get frustrated, never at a person, but at the heart of the person. You've seen me do miracles. You've seen me touch blind eyes. You, you remember that one time when we went and we fed 5,000 with just that little basket of fish and bread that you brought to me? You remember that one time when, when I just went and I healed that crippled guy? You remember all those, all those things that we've done? What I'm telling you now, the way I treated you, the way I talked to you, the way I spent time with you, the way I prayed over you, the way I lifted you up, I'm now asking you to do the exact same thing that I did to you for somebody else. That's why he says, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go make Christians. He said, go and, and disciple somebody. And discipleship takes work. I can't tell you how many times I've been mad at Pastor Reuben. I cannot tell you how many times I've been frustrated with him. Okay? Uh, he'll do, I'll say one thing and he'll do something else and he'd get me frustrated. Or there were times where he just wouldn't listen. He was hard-headed. And there were a lot of times in the process he would frustrate me. Discipleship is not easy. You don't take somebody buddy-buddy and it's just you're living in la-la land the rest of your life. Discipleship is a process. The root word of discipleship is discipline. Discipline. It's not always easy. The words of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 reveal four things. They reveal the heart of the church. And Acts chapter 1, let me remind you, it's, it's the verse that says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. Okay, so Acts chapter 1 reveals the heart of the church, the calling of the church, the purpose of the church, and the potential of the church. Think about it. If 12 people would have, would, right now, if in this service, if 12 of you, 12, now there's, there's quite a few of you in here. If 12 of you would stand up and say, you know what, I commit that I will make a disciple this year. I will create a disciple. And in doing that, you're creating a disciple who in turn will stand up over the next year and say, I too will now create a disciple. If that process goes, in the next 20 years, 12 of you will reach 12,582,900 people. 12 of you. If we'll just do this process that Jesus tells us about. If the disciples would have done it, the way Jesus was telling them to do it, and if they would have each converted one and, and repeated the cycle, that with the population of the planet, the way it was, it would have taken them 40 years to reach the entire population of planet Earth. But what happened was the disciples began to look inward. It became about my church. It became about me. And, and, and a lot of times we forgot to to create disciples and to continue making disciples. We make disciples uh, by doing a few things. And, and if you are taking notes, write these things down or take a picture of the screens, they put them up. But number one, be a godly example to those within your circle of influence. Okay, that means the people around you, they should recognize there's something different about you. They should look at you and go, you know what, this guy's different. He's just something different about him. Number two, speak out for Christ whenever the opportunity presents itself. So you have a chance to say something, you tell somebody, man, listen, you keep saying that I'm blessed, I just got to tell you, it's God. He, he did this. He just loves me. Number three, 
Create disciple-making disciples. When you speak to someone and, and they start receiving what you have to say, don't leave it. Don't leave it there and go, well, I did it. I did. I got one. I got one. This is creating disciples who will go and make disciples. Number four, go to the mission field. Some of you are like, man, I don't want to go to Haiti or Africa. The first place you need to go is your family. Think about that. See, some of us are so scared. We, we pray every day that someone will put, that God will put someone in the path of one of our family members because they need Jesus. And God's going, hey, I'm trying to put you in the path. Number five, send a missionary where we can't go. Okay? Give and go. Give and go. These five things, I believe that it's these five things. When these five things come full circle, then we've created disciples. Mother Teresa said it like this. She said, the wire is in you and me. The current is God. We have the power to let the current pass through us, use us, and produce the light of the world, Jesus. Orders remain unchanged. Orders remain unchanged. It's so simple that it's kind of scary. That my job as a pastor, our job, we have, we have the greatest team of pastors here at this church. Our job as team of pastors is to figure out how we can raise up disciples who will say, you know what, I got a guy at work. The, the, the way we started this whole church was with this philosophy in mind. Let's start a softball team. Let's start a softball team and get people to play on our softball team who don't know Jesus. And in turn, let's just, let's not, let's not witness to them. Let's not sh shove God down their throat. Let's not tell them to play on our team. You have to come to our church. Let's not correct them every time they say a cuss word. Let's just play softball and let them be around us. Peter had this power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And when he gets arrested, him and John get arrested for healing this crippled man. He's brought in front of the Sanhedrin and they ask him about it. And the Bible says that Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he spoke to them. At the end of this conversation with the Sanhedrin, they, Peter and John walk away. And the Sanhedrin, they look at each other. And the Bible says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They recognized that there was something different about these guys. They've been with Jesus. See, our job is, is to just go and be Jesus. Represent Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Honor Jesus. And in turn, people are going to go, you know what? Why is your marriage so good? I don't, I don't get it. In turn, people are going to say, why are you so happy all the time? In turn, people are going to go, why are you so blessed? Well, Jesus. Jesus. And there's this drawing. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws people in. It's not our really cool church. It's not our really cool pastor. Amen. You guys are not helping me out at all with this. The Bible says that the Spirit of God will draw people in. And then our job is to just reproduce everything that God's done in us and for us inside of them you want what I've got Paul says chase me follow me act like me 
chase me as I chase him. You want what I've got? He'll give it to you. Amen? Amen. I'm just, I'm just asking you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray over you this morning. I'm going to pray that, that God bless you this morning. But I, I'm going to pray this specifically. That if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to pray that, that you make a commitment to, to God. I'm not asking you to join our church. You're not making a commitment to our church because that, that doesn't mean anything. Okay? But... But I just want to pray over you. And I want you to have an opportunity to give your life to God this morning. If that's you and you say, you know what, Pastor Jared? I, I want to give my life to God. I want him to forgive me of all the stupid things I've done and the, the sins I've committed. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up and you put it right back down. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. But if you want me to pray over you and you want to accept Jesus in your life, just put your hand up, put it right back down. Come on. Amen. It's two, three. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Everybody, just say this prayer after me. Father, I know I've made mistakes. I know I'm a sinner. God, but I give my life to you. I recognize today, Jesus, that you gave your life for me and that you died once and for all my sins. And from this day forward, I know that I have been made perfect through you that I am yours, that I am, I am a child of God, that I am a joint heir with Jesus, and I accept that into my life. And I pray, God, that you give me the strength to live for you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen, if you said that prayer, he's come into your life right now, and he saved you of all your sins. He's forgiven you of all the things that you've done in your life. And you now have a guarantee. The Bible says, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. That God's given you everything in the world. Do you believe that? Now I'm going to ask you one more question before we move on. And I'm going to ask you to uh, make a commitment with me. But if you promise that over the next six months, through the rest of this year to seek out, pray and seek out one person that you can begin to pour your life into, that you're going to do your best to make a disciple. Will you do that? Will you commit to trying? Commit that I promise I'm going to do my best to make a disciple, that I'm going to pour my life, I'm going to lift up when they're down, I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to, I'm going to just bring Jesus into life. You promise to do that? Anybody? Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on. Give God a big hand clap of praise this morning.